Hello, Merry Christmas, and welcome to episode nine of the podcast, which is coming out in that weird bit between Christmas and New Year, where you're not really sure what day it is, and you have no idea how long you've been on holiday or how long you've got left. But maybe it's just about time to emerge from the haze and uh, listen to some voices from the outside world. So that is us today. So Merry Christmas, Emma. Nadole Klauen. Nadole Klauen. In reality, we're recording this less than a week from when we actually go off for our Christmas break. So there is a slight end of term hysteria about our mood. And I think... To kind of just take that and roll with it, today we're going to bring you something a bit lighter, maybe a bit more self-indulgent than usual if we're going to be harsh about it, and just model some good practice by giving you some nice Christmas presents and not taxing your intelligence too much. Yes, exactly that. Starting with talking about podcasts, because we are both very big fans of podcasts. We are. We love our podcasts. We're back in your office. I should point out, actually, for those uh, people following our burgeoning podcast marriage, the first words have been exchanged about turning the radiator off in your office. Well, if you do that one more time, I'm afraid this this relationship is over. Yeah, I uh, cooled down Emma's office, forgot to turn it back on. I must say we're in very good company because apparently the presenters of the Today programme on Radio 4 had an on-air bust-up about the temperature of their studio radiator a few years ago well i am not a happy bunny if i'm cold um and, and it would appear that you are not a happy yeah, bunny I if you're hot <laughs> suffer from constant hot flushes over here so <laughs> yeah there we go that's where we are that's where we are in our domestic situation so Sa- santa's been um he's uh, he's left some gifts in the form of podcast suggestions and to um to be we're, we're trying to be naughty and nice we'll start off being nice by um by focusing on some education for Focus podcasts. Yes, a strictly limited number of education podcasts, I think, for the Christmas holidays. I think so. Um, starting with uh, one that we both like um, called The Staff Room. And uh, this comes from some, I'm going to call them our colleagues because they are people in, who inhabit the podcasting world. Um, they're actually located down under. Oh, sounds, oh, that just sounds like Cockney, doesn't it? <laughs> Never mind. It's fine. It, yeah, okay. Let's let's avoid the, uh, the avoid comedy accents. accents. Let's not go down the accent road. No. So this comes at us from Michael Royale and Tessa Johnson, and it's called The Staff Room. And what they do is they get in uh, a different guest every week. Um, they've had the likes of Tom Sherrington, whose book we're going to review a little bit later on down the line on our podcast. Um, and uh, yeah, they, they, they interview you said guest and then they talk about their their favorite takeaways from what that guest had to say and they do manage to pull in some pretty big names don't they i'm a little bit jealous of some of the people they've managed to get i know i am too um uh, another one that they did recently that i really liked was one of the co-authors of the learning scientists book about cognitive science um and i'm going to be really open and loose and i can't actually remember the title of it right now it's got a lovely blue cover um but i really enjoyed that and it was all about uh different pedagogical strategies that are linked to cognitive science I want to say how we learn a visual guide. Is it that one? Did you just look that up? Nope. Came out of my brain. That's going to be our next uh, book club book, isn't it? Book club book. I think that's why I know what it is. But yeah, they they get some big guests in and they just, their their podcast comes in two halves, doesn't it? They kind of let the guest expound upon what they do they they ask them a couple of quick prompt questions but it's basically an opportunity for the guest to just wax lyrical about what it is that they do and then once the guest is gone they sit down and discuss what they've heard yeah um and there are some really big names um in the world of kind of contemporary theorists in and around education and classroom pedagogy um so have a little listen there's some some really some really good food for thought in that podcast yeah it's interesting and our other recommendation our final work related recommendation for this episode is um a little bit closer to home the elec uh, <laughs> <blah>. <laughs> i'll keep that in <laughs> i can't remember i can't speak 
the Education Endowment Foundation, who we have mentioned before on these podcasts and have a very useful um, website full of evidence-based things. They have launched a podcast as well. I don't know whether they listened to ours and decided to copy it. But I they, think so. I, I like to pretend that that's what happened. Yeah. They've launched a podcast. They're only on their second episode. They call it Trialed and Tested. So the idea is they take um, a strategy or something that is uh, being researched and they really kind of drill into it and take it apart. They do. And um, I've got to say my most favourite episode of their two, (laughs) (laughs) Um, it was the first one about metacognition. Um, I, I found it absolutely fascinating and it goes along with a report that came out from the Education Endowment Fund um, and I, I think I think we should do a podcast episode on metacognition down the line Tom I don't okay. know about you Just note to made spoilers <laughs> yeah we'll be getting there so yeah a nice pair of educational podcasts there so if you're feeling virtuous if you're the kind of person who's still on the diet or going out to the gym even in that bit between Christmas and New Year you're probably the kind of person that wants to listen to an educational podcast right now but for the rest of us if you want to put down the celery and pick up the mince pie yep here we go Uh, here are some recommendations from us about podcasts that we really like Okay, so my my favourite, favourite, favourite that I listen to religiously is Desert Island Discs. Um, I I have no shame in telling you that I absolutely adore Desert Island Discs. I love the format. I love that it's music. I love that you get a real variety of people, um, a really interesting variety of people who are guests on Desert Island Discs. And I secretly would love to go on myself. Um, So if I ever reach the dizzy heights of uh, celeb status through this podcast then I really hope that Kirsty Young pulls me in and uh, and interviews me for Desert Island Discs and if it doesn't happen we will make one of our future episodes Emma's Desert Island Discs oh, as please. a poor substitute for the real thing I think it is a great format actually because it's one of those ones where the guest kind of lets their guard down a little bit and you do get to find out some very interesting things about people who maybe you know one dimension of their lives but it really does bring out some fascinating insights into what makes them tick absolutely so have a little listen to that yes i was converted to that by emma now emma tends to like her radio 4 based podcasts and i must say that bbc does produce a lot of interesting thought-provoking stuff i tend to like the ones that tell stories a little bit more that take a story that has either dropped out of the public consciousness a bit or which we think we know everything about and really kind of drills into it from all sorts of angles over a long period of time i think one of my favorite ones recently a slightly dark topic admittedly um was called end of days and it was about the story of the waco siege um david koresh and the branch davidian sect but another one that I liked was by Carrie Gracie, who was in the news quite a lot this year, actually. She was the BBC's China editor and uh, decided that uh, she was quite rightly displeased about the way she was being treated over her equal pay claims and uh, resigned from that position and uh, generally behaved in a very legendary kind of way. In the ensuing fallout, made her employers look extremely bad. But before all of that happened, she produced a podcast called Murder in the Lucky Holiday Hotel. I think, which uh, is a very obscure tale of a slightly seedy British expat working out there, kind of wheeler dealering, and then finally falling foul of all kinds of complex political and slightly gangsterish things out in some really godforsaken corner of China and landing up dead in a hotel room, basically. And it, it tells the tale of that and pulls together all the threads, which includes um, Bournemouth and all kinds of parts of the world in a way that's strangely compelling. So I would recommend any of the BBC's kind of storytelling podcast. There's a very good one about the Cold War. There's a great one about the Middle East. It all sounds kind of dry and boring when you say it, but the way that they tell those stories and the way that they've got the time and space to go into some slightly obscure things that might not have made it um, and onto the air in news programmes does make it strangely addictive. Absolutely. And I, I I must say that the Carrie Gracie one is in my to listen list. Um, but I have heard End of Days and I found it both equally disturbing and intriguing yeah. in equal measure. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and you're right, I, I am a little bit of a, a, a fangirl of the BBC Radio 4 podcast. I tend to like the um, the sort of the, the discursive uh programs 
I really like analysis. I really like um, moral maze. Um, sometimes I disagree with uh, with the panel, of, yeah. which is uh, all good. Yeah, yeah. It's it makes for it makes for good sort of debate. Um, the moral maze is 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 cracking at times. Um, and I also like um, the inquiry. They did a really nice. They're, they're they're only quite short. The inquiry. They they deal with sort of um, hot political topics topics but in a really accessible way so I did one um, recently on why is Brexit so hard (laughs) (laughs) which is is obviously a pun but um, but it it really sort of in 23 minutes I think it kind of segmented the whole kind of Brexit journey into three three sort of um, key plot moments um, and I just I just found it very interesting and, and accessible. So yeah, loads of good stuff coming from the BBC, but I think the beauty of podcasts is that you can range a little bit more widely because you can get hold of international material just as easily as you can get hold of British material. And I've discovered that actually the world, weirdly, of American politics is particularly interesting, and I've become a bit of an addict of some of those. And I know that you also enjoyed uh, the podcast series called Slow Burn. Oh, I really did. And the thing that hooked me in was something that Tom, Tom and I often have these deep discussions about the world and politics. And we were talking about what's going on in America in the Trump era. Um, and Tom mentioned about, you know, would we know if we were in the middle of some big political scandal? Would we actually... Watergate. Yeah, New Watergate. Would we actually be able to tell? Um, and I think we probably can tell um, in terms of what's going on with Trump because it's, it's he's, he's not... He doesn't censor himself, really, in the media. No, I think we know we're living in a historically interesting period. Yeah, but um, Slow Burn is very interesting because it takes a, a really deep dive into the Watergate scandal um, and also Bill Clinton and um, and the, the Monica Lewinsky scandal, um, and um, and what that does, it kind of homes in on characters in that period of history who probably didn't get so much coverage at the time, but actually look, taking the long view and looking back in hindsight were quite crucial. Um, so yeah, we we really like that. Don't yeah, we? and I think this this idea that when you're living in the middle of a story, you don't know what's important. I guess when we look backwards at a big story, it's all sort of cut and dried, and we know what was important and what wasn't, and how things fitted together. But when you're in the middle of it, it's not quite so clear. And they make that point really well, I think, in those podcasts that the people living through Watergate, for example, were pretty bored most of the time. It went on yeah. for a really long time. I mean, hence the title, Slow Burn. There was an awful lot of kind of boring admin involved. And yet when we look back on it, we we imagine that they were privileged enough to live through an incredibly exciting time. And I know that we uh, we had long and interesting discussions based on that. The Clinton Lewinsky um, series from Slow Burn goes off into a really interesting discussion about how American feminism is divided along the, the lines of, of how they view pornography, for example. That was an interesting discussion we had in the coffee shop, wasn't it? It really was. And that was the first episode that I started with, which was actually in the middle of that series. And that prompted me then to go back and listen to the whole series. But yes, you're right. Kind of the different feminist perspectives um, and how that kind of came to... to uh, to a uh, came to a head in in relation to the Monica Lewinsky scandal and, and how Monica Lewinsky was depicted in the media and perceived by women at the time I thought it was very very interesting yeah loads of fascinating parallels with the present day as well yeah um another one as well I'm gonna put Tom on the spot here mm-hmm. sorry Tom um I got a little bit of an obsession with Obama <laughs> you're an Obama <laughs> fangirl aren't you? Yeah. I really am a fangirl but um Tom recommended a podcast that just focused on his kind of early career and his rise to presidency and it doesn't re- you know it ends with him being elected as president it doesn't really go into his presidency at all um yeah. but Making Obama, I think it was called. Making Obama, that yeah. was it. So I would recommend that for anybody. And what it also gives you a nice slice of is, is an insight into American politics and, and how one does go from, you know, somebody who is is just a community organiser. I say just a community, community organiser, that's a really important role. But how he went from that to becoming um, the first black American president. So loads of interesting stories there. And now, now for our lightest recommendation, I'm I'm going to tell a story myself. And it's the story of how this podcast came to be. 
the uh, creation story of the PGC podcast. Now, I got into podcasts as a result of having a baby who doesn't sleep very well at night. I used to spend a large amount of my time uh, sitting in the kitchen with him on me because that was how he would sleep. And this was how I discovered the wonderful world of, of the more obscure podcasts that are available. And a bit like we're doing now, loads of recommendations for you to kind of load up your podcast trolley with. I would occasionally have a good old binge of podcasts and then run out. And then I'd go searching for some more and I would subscribe to loads all at once. And one of them was a really obscure podcast. And I still don't really know to this day how I stumbled across it. But it rapidly became my favourite one and I started binging on it madly. And it was a podcast called And Then What? Uh, the podcast all about stories. The premise is really simple which is that two friends, Becky and Amy, meet up across a microphone and tell each other stories that they've found. And these stories can be everything from obscure fairy tales to internet posts to news stories, all kinds of things. As long as it's a story, it's fair game. And the reason I became really hooked on this podcast was really just that these two people were so lovely and the kind of warmth that came out of my headphones while I was listening to it, the way they clearly were just amazingly good friends and just sat there telling these stories, which were frequently absolutely hilarious. Um, I should point out that, you know, quite a lot of them are quite sweary as well. So be careful where you listen to this if you go looking for and then what. But I really, really enjoyed it. And I was binging away on these episodes um, thinking what a nice time I was having. And then suddenly one evening, um, Becky, one of the presenters of the podcast, started talking about somebody, a friend of hers. And as I listened with increasing disbelief, I suddenly realised that she was talking about you. <laughs> I'm she, staying very quiet over here. <laughs> she gave away enough personal information that it was it was pretty much impossible that she could be talking about anybody else. And this was, as you can imagine, a slightly strange moment. And I seem to remember picking up my phone and just in a load of semi-coherent excitement texting you to say something along the lines of there's something really weird going on I'm listening to a podcast and they're talking about you and my dog I might mention uh, yeah your dog was involved which I think was how I knew it was you um and so I sent you this message and and got in reply a single question mark which is the the concise Thea version of a quizzically arched eyebrow and a what are you talking about Tom? <laughs> <laughs> oh you've got away with words Tom <laughs> Uh, so I kind of tried to explain and uh, it became clear that indeed this was actually a friend of Emma's that I was listening to. Um, and as this conversation was going on, um, Becky on the podcast also let slip that she had trained as a teacher in this very institution. Mm -hmm. The plot so, thickens. The th yeah, the plot thickens. So my mind thoroughly blown. Uh, we discussed this over a period of, of, of several weeks I think afterwards and how completely bizarre it was that I should have found this podcast which is not an enormously mainstream podcast I've no idea how many listeners they've got but they're not being backed by some huge media company or anything like that not to, to undersell them though, not Tom. to undersell them because the <laughs> podcast is absolutely fantastic Stunkin'. I completely love it and um, and in the course of one of these conversations I think I I with fear and trepidation ventured the idea that we might make a reasonably good podcast together yes and the rest is history it is it is it started in bolton and now here we it are and, you know. and here we are with the podcast so we've actually got a treat for you for this episode also means we get to do a little bit less work because <laughs> becky who is indeed an alumna of this very institution trained as a drama teacher in the same year as emma and in fact lived in the same house yes that's correct for quite some time and um, decided not actually to follow teaching as a career she's ended up working in the charity sector working for shelter the homelessness charity and amy uh, who's not got anything to do with teaching in particular she's a journalist they have actually kindly enough recorded us a little segment for our podcast and given us permission to retell some of their stories by using the audio from their podcasts. Oh, thank you, ladies. Which is very lovely of them, and we wish them a very happy Christmas. And uh, without further ado, let's hear from Becky and Amy from the podcast that started it all. I 
here. I'm the National Curriculum in England, Key Stages 1 and 2, Becky. <laughs> and I'm Curriculum Cymraeg, Amy. <laughs> and, um, and we're from And Then What, the podcast all about stories. So we're just recording this for lovely Emma and lovely Tom from the PGC podcast. Very lovely people. Very lovely people. And um, thanks very much for having us on. The listeners of, of PGC podcast know that we are kind of one of the reasons why they started this one which is so cool it's very flattering that you enjoy our podcast so much that you've decided to start your own so that's really bloody lovely i Um, imagine that you swear and say the word vagina less yeah probably (laughs) it's one of the things when tom got in touch he was like yeah we've had to be really selective about the story (laughs) (laughs) which is fair i don't know if people will be aware of this but um emma and i go way way back so the the course that emma teaches now she and i took together when we were students at the then it was then called uic it's now cardiff met and yeah we had a fabulous four years together because it was a really unique course back then um you spent like half your year in uni learning your craft and then half your year in uh, in a school teaching your craft obviously emma has gone on to do that very successfully and i got to the end of year four and was like nah <laughs> <laughs> i i spent dr- three years doing my philosophy degree and the only thing it's useful for now is watching the good place and being like i know that <laughs> I watched a lot of that yesterday. The philosophy jokes in there are amazing. So good. <laughs> and so, so true, so oh. on point. They're actually pretty good with their learning. Anyway, that's not the point. Oh, no, no, Continue. Yes. So, um, so one thing that Tom and Emma um, asked us to bring to the table was to talk about our like most memorable classroom moments. Mm. So I can do this from the point of view of having trained as a teacher. Um, and we thought it might be quite fun if you did it from the point of view of being a pupil. Okay. So for me, it's not really a moment within the classroom. School trips. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there was a time when... So there's a few school trips that I've I've been on and had to like it does feel like herding cats sometimes. Mm-hmm. But my most memorable one, I was teaching at an all boys school and we took everyone on a school trip to London. The island. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all came to London to to take the kids to see uh, Les Mis. So exciting. How old are they? They were so it was they were, they were like eleven to sixteen. That's intense. Yeah. How do I describe that bus trip to <laughs> London? It was a lot of questions. Uh, most of them around the realms of like, ah, oh, miss, is les mis all in French? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I was training there at the time with another friend of mine and Emma's, uh, a teacher called Rachel, who is now teaching in Northern Ireland. This was back when Equus was on down the road, <laughs> starting down your Radcliffe, and we were like, there are plenty of, there's plenty of supervision for these, <laughs> these pupils. So we just like nipped down the road to watch Equus. And the kids totally knew. Because on the bus on the way back, they were like, ah, oh, miss, what's Harry Potter's penis like? <laughs> and what is Harry Potter's penis like? I mean, after like five minutes, you stop paying attention, really. And it's very cold in there. So that's oh, okay. a bad judgment, really. This is probably not the kind of stuff they wanted <laughs> to hear. But that was memorable for me. How about you, Amy? Uh, okay, so I people always think I'm a lot posher than I am. I think the fact that <laughs> I lived started in Wales and from Cumbrian, mm-hmm. um, and then moved to the Midlands to Nuneaton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't really have an accent, and no. I think people tend to think I'm posh when I'm <laughs> very much not. So <laughs> my school was rough as anything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I remember at one point, we, did, we just didn't have a maths building anymore. I think it got condemned. So they built, like, temporary huts on our playgrounds. We didn't have any playgrounds. Um, and then we had a teacher. So I was having a maths class. I think I would have been, like, year nine. Yeah. Um, and one of the teachers got really angry at a kid, so threw a chair at them. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> the kid ducked out of the way, thankfully. But the chair hit the wall and went through the back of the classroom. <laughs> Um, and just like clattered onto the pavement outside um, and then uh, they didn't fix it and it was winter so we just had to spend the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the term just a bit of tarp and a bit of didn't even put a bit of tarp we just uh, it just was there we just took all the computers and stuff out at the end of the day say the computers the one computer the teacher had out at the end of the day so that it couldn't get robbed at night oh, um, that was quite memorable <laughs> I went to an interesting school <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's such a good story. Did you ever have a dog in the playground? No. Uh, I think if anyone, if any living creature had set foot on our playing fields, it would have dissolved immediately from the amount of, like, (laughs) fag ash and chemicals. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) So I guess the main reason why we're we're recording a little bit for PDC Podcast is because they're going to play one of our stories, which is (gasps) exciting. Oh, my God. Um, Tom did mention that they had to search for a little bit to find something with (laughs) the fewest number of sweaters (laughs) in it. But I think they've picked an absolute cracker. So, Amy, I'm going to throw it over to you to introduce the story and talk a little bit okay. about it. 
So I'm going to call this the seagull story, yeah. I guess. Um, I think I found it on Twitter. Someone put it on Facebook, I think, mm. and screenshots going around Twitter. And I read it, I think at work, first of all, and I laughed so hard <laughs> that I had to leave the room. Because yeah. um, I was just, like, shaking at my desk. Uh, and it's basically um, the story of why a man who tried to do everything right yeah. <laughs> got banned from a hotel after <laughs> accidentally setting loose a flock of seagulls in his room. Just the trail of destruction. Oh, it, I, it's one of those ones where you, you you get the initial premise, and you're like, oh, seagulls in a room, lol. But then it just keeps on getting worse oh. and worse and worse and worse so well. and cultivates with just a barked sorry at a maid. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and the sorry is so ineffectual yeah. to make up for what has happened. It's one of the ones, I think it's one that made us laugh the most out of all the stories. We've yeah. done it for over a year now and we don't think we've laughed as hard at no. anything. And I think that's probably why people have enjoyed listening to that so much, just because of our reaction to the story. Oh God, well. we we were falling all over the place. It was wonderful. So I really hope um, you enjoy this yes. story, Emma and Tom. Thank you so much for including us. Yes. Feel genuinely touched. And oh, and if you like our story, oh yeah, um, we are. And then what the podcast about stories, and you can follow us on all the social medias. And then what pod? Lovely. Uh, well, enjoy. <gasps> Bye. Bye. So this story, it's the one I called Seagulls that's been going around Twitter. Yeah. And it was tweeted by a guy called Matthew Champion. Mm -hmm. But it's actually, originally it's a Facebook post that was posted on the 30th of March in Canada Mm -hmm. from Nick Birchall. Mm -hmm. And it's on a review of the Fairmont Express. Fairmont Express. Which is a hotel. Okay. So I'm just going to read this to you. Okay. Dear Empress Hotel, this may seem like an unusual request, but I write to you today seeking a pardon. 17 years ago, a string of unfortunate events led to my being banned from your hotel. I'd like to explain the incident. In 2001, I had recently joined my current employer, and I was also in the Canadian Naval Reserve. My employer was hosting a customer conference at the Empress, and it was my first event with the company. I told my Navy buddies that I was coming out west, and I was asked to bring Brothers Pepperoni from Halifax. It's a local delicacy. Mm -hmm. Because this was the Navy we were talking about, I brought enough for a ship. (laughs) In a hurry, I'd completely filled a suitcase with pepperoni for my friends. Some of it was wrapped in plastic, some in brown paper. I took whatever the Brothers would sell me. Uh This is the bag that the airline misplaced. Oh, no. The bag reappeared the next day. I knew that the pepperoni would still be good, as it had only been at room temperature for a short time. It would, however, be quite some time before I could turn it over to my friends. So just to be safe, I decided I should keep it cool. My room was a nice, big, front-facing room on the fourth floor. It was well-appointed, but it did not have a fridge. Uh It was April. The air was chilly. An easy way to keep all of this food cool would just be keep it next to an open window. (laughs) God's fridge. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I lifted one of the sashes and spread the packages of pepperoni out on the table and windowsill. Then I went for a walk for about four or five hours. Oh no, oh no, oh no. (laughs) I just remembered the title of the story. When I covered enough ground, I returned to the hotel. I remember walking down the long hall and opening the door to my room to find an entire flock of seagulls in my room. The whole band? I didn't have enough time to count, but there must have been 40 of them. Oh, God. And they'd been in my room eating pepperoni for a long time. In case you're wondering, Brothers TNT Pepperoni does nasty things to a seagull's digestive system. As you would expect, the room was covered in seagull crap. (laughs) What I did not realise until then was that seagulls also drool, especially when they eat pepperoni. Ew! I'm sure you have quite an image in your head. Now remember that I have just walked into the room and startled all of the birds. (laughs) They immediately started flying around and crashing into things. As they desperately tried to leave the room through the small opening by which they had entered. (laughs) Less composed seagulls are attempting to leave the room through the other closed windows. The result was a tornado of seagull excrement. (laughs) So they're just... just... Sorry, sorry, next door. (laughs) The result was a tornado of seagull excrement, feathers, pepperoni chunks and fairly large birds whipping around the room. (laughs) The lamps were falling, the curtains were trashed, the coffee tray was disgusting. Oh my god. I waded through the <laughs> I waded through the birds and opened the remaining windows. Most of the gulls left immediately. One tried to re-enter the room no. to grab another piece of pepperoni. No, man, just cut your losses. And in, <laughs> and in my <laughs> sorry. It's okay. Take your time. <laughs> This is my favorite. <laughs> and in my 
agitated state, I took off one of my shoes. (laughs) (laughs) And I threw it at him. Both the gull and the shoe went out the window. (laughs) By this time, I was down to one gull left in the room, but it was a big one Uh and it didn't want to leave. As I chased it, it ran round the room with a big hunk of pepperoni in its gob. (laughs) In a moment of clarity, I grabbed a bath towel and I jumped it. It started to freak out, so I wrapped it in the towel and threw it out of the window. (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgotten that seagulls cannot fly when they're wrapped in a towel. Oh my god! This is <laughs> this is all happening fairly quickly, and this is mid afternoon. The Empress hosts a very famous and very popular high tea. I suspect this is where the large oh. group of tourists was heading when they were struck first by my shoe, and then by a bound up seagull. <laughs> So let's go back to my little housekeeping issue. Okay. The room was bad. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. I was new to the company and I was really trying to make a good impression in this important event. Mm -hmm. I decided I would carry on for now and handle this whole thing later. Mm. I then realised I had only a few minutes before an important dinner and I only had one shoe. Mm. I made my way to one of the side doors and I recovered both the shoe and the towel that were laying in some wet soil near the walking path. The shoe was a mess. I took it back to the room. By this time, I had closed the windows and the air was becoming quite ripe with the smell of digested pepperoni and fish. I went into the washroom and rinsed the mud off my shoe. It cleaned up nicely, but now I had one wet, dark shoe and one dry, light-coloured shoe. (laughs) In retrospect, I should have just wet the dry shoe. Instead, I chose to dry the wet shoe using the little hairdryer. It was actually doing quite well. I had the hairdryer jammed in there and the shoe was drying quite nicely. Mm -hmm. Then the phone rang. I walked into the next room to answer it, and the power goes off. It turns out the hairdryer had vibrated free of the shoe and fallen into the sink full of water. Oh. I don't know how much of the hotel's power I knocked out, but at this time I decided I needed help. I called the front desk and asked for someone to come help me clean up a mess. I can still... I can still remember the look on the lady's face when she opened the door. I had absolutely no idea what to tell her, so I just said, I'm sorry. (laughs) And I went to dinner. When I came back, my things had been moved to a much smaller room. Yes. I thought that was the end of it all until I'd been told my company had received a letter banning me from the Empress, a ban that I have respected for almost 18 years. (laughs) I've matured. (laughs) I admit responsibility (laughs) for my actions. I come to you hat in hand to apologise for the damage I indirectly come to cause and ask you to reconsider my lifetime ban. I hope you'll see fit to give either grant me a pardon or consider my 18 years away from the Empress as time served. Thank you for your consideration, Nick Birchall. Wow. Update 31st of March. (gasps) After reviewing my application for a pardon with the Empress staff, Ryan, the manager that has noted my five me verbally, I will once again be welcome as a guest. (gasps) I bet it was the pound of brother's pepperoni that I gave them as a peace offering (laughs) that did the trick. And this has been, this was shared along with a picture of what I'm assuming is Nick Birchall talking to two women (laughs) on the front of the desk who are crying with laughter (laughs) at this story. (laughs) That's amazing. Nick Birchall, thank you so much for sharing that. Nick Birchall. Can either of us say we would have done any better in that situation? No, no. My well done, man. (laughs) Now, I'd like to say that we've all been there. Um, We haven't, though, have we? (laughs) (laughs) And I've got quite a funny story to tell off the back of this. So thank you, ladies. Um, Oh, does it involve seagulls? Well, no, but I was outdoors. So I was listening to this podcast whilst walking my dog, Monkey, who has had several mentions on And Then What, the podcast all about stories. Um, And um, I I often tend to listen to a podcast whilst I'm walking the dog. And this story stopped me dead in my tracks and prompted me to, to record a voice message to Becky, just telling her that she'd reduced me to tears. Um, whilst whilst listening to that story, so ladies, you know, you just brought that memory flying back. Um, oh, there's a number of them that have reduced me to a complete mess in public. I mean, they are just hilarious. Unfortunately, some of them slightly too sweary to go on this podcast, but 
do have a listen because they are so funny some of these stories absolutely um and i must say just on a personal level that it's like getting a big hug from your best friend across the uh across the miles when you are parted it's lovely to hear their 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 dulcet tones coming to you across the sound waves it is thank you and we are going to pinch another one of their stories later as well because i don't think one is enough once you've had that one absolutely so you've got more to look forward to a little bit later on so we have been having a little think about our favorite teachers from fiction um and from media and we gave a tiny little bit of homework to some of our our colleagues in the Department of Teacher Education in Cardiff Met um, and we also came up with our own favourite teachers from fiction didn't we Tom? We did so should we have a listen to what our fine colleagues have to say first of all? I think so. Uh, my name's Sally Bethel and my favourite fictional teacher is Miss Jean Brodie because she was absolutely inspirational to her gals. Okay, my name's Sean Watkins and one of my favourite teachers in literature is Professor Snape. I think this is partly because deep down I would like to be a Slytherin but they are known as baddies. Um, but Professor Snape shows that you can have redeeming features and sometimes those teachers that we might have always seen as baddies often are the ones that have the best influence on us. My favourite teacher is Mr Gilbert from The Inbetweeners. I love the way the boys think they're so cool and rebellious and Mr Gilbert is always two jumps ahead of them. My name's Ashley Beard and my favourite fictional teacher is uh, Dewey Finn from the School of Rock because he's so entertaining and so funny. Uh, anyway, you Ashley Beard, the hoff gymeriad i um, Dewey Finn or School of Rock or her with a vorder marvaniol a cynllawn hwyl. Hi, this is Judith Neen and my favourite fictional teacher comes from the film Kez uh, which is a film about a Billy Casper, boy who lives in a Yorkshire mining town in the 1960s, has rather a grim life, bullied at home and bullied at school. And whilst at school, he's treated particularly badly by Mr. Sugden, the PE teacher, who in the film is played by the late great Brian Glover. And as and this creates some rather wonderful comedy um, scenes in the film, and uh, well worth um, googling and um, finding. If you just Google cares and uh, PE lesson, you'll find it. And if you can't be bothered doing that, just imagine Donald Trump dressed in a 1960s Manchester United kit, trying to teach football to a class of Yorkshire teenagers, and you've got it. Um, hello, my name is Gina Morgan. My favourite fictional teacher possibly would be um, a lecturer um, from my favourite author. My favourite author is Tom Sharp, and he was the author of the Wilt books. And Wilt is one of his main characters, and Wilt is, an ex, is um, a university tutor. Wilt is in a position where he teaches a, a variety of different groups. He teaches meat one, he teaches plasterers two, he teaches bricklayers three. And basically he uses the various experiences from these groups to enrich his life and also to think about how possibly he would like to kill his wife. So therefore it's a good mixture of um, farce, a good dollop of black humour I would say. Um, hello, Gina Morgan, Edui. Patasnin Dewis for Hof Athra. Basnin Mindam Gameriad, Gan for Hof Audir, save Tom Sharp. Um, I'm Tom Sharp and Enwog, I'm Scriveni, I'm Coveris and Novelli, I'm a Gameriad Wilt. Ac my Wilt and Dalithith, my colleague um, Trudadol. Ac my Wilt and, and Dusky Pob Marth or Groupia Fraved, my friend Dusky Groupia Amarverol Yanvel Bricklayers 3 Meat. Two plasterers one. A both my Wilton and I do my who board in Divnathia. A proviat I am divir seed ganem a verwer a verwer ema. I I faithio are I vowed eh. I can append row my vein metal am trial slav. I rig and and Divnathia proviat I am a verwer mount forth. I think widely on some clown humour. 
My name is Mark Williams, and I think my favourite teacher in fiction would be Tom uh, from the TV series Gimme Gimme Gimme, who became a temporary drama teacher. I really liked him because he threw everything into it and failed really badly. So I felt sorry for him. So that was our lovely colleagues from Cardiff Met talking about their favourite teachers from fiction. Um, And I've got one to add. Um, And this one's got a little bit of a personal resonance, actually, because um, I've got a very strong memory of when I first started teaching on the undergraduate programmes at Cardiff Met. I was teaching some second years um, and I was teaching them um, a module generally about um, observing education and in educational contexts. And one of my lovely uh, undergraduate students said to me that I looked like Miss Honey. Oh, um, which is nice. Yeah, it was very, I saw it as a compliment. Um, now, for those of you who don't know, Miss Honey is a teacher character in Roald Dahl's Matilda. Um, and I. it just got me thinking, actually, that M- Matilda's uh, lovely teacher, Miss Honey, is, is a pretty fantastic role model. Um, and here's some of Roald Dahl's own words um, describing Miss Honey. He says, There is no doubt she possessed that rare gift for being adored by every small child under her care. And I think something that's um, something that I like about Miss Honey is that she, she looks quite demure um, and unassuming and perhaps someone who could be a bit of a pushover. And in fact, the other formidable teacher in Matilda, the Trunchbull um, tends to walk all over Miss Honey, but actually Miss Honey is the person who is um, is one of the people who prompts Matilda to kind of find her own talent and to go with her own talent and to explore her own talent. Um, and actually, the joke is on Miss Trunchbull in the end. So um, you know, don't uh, don't underestimate those unassuming, demure, seeming tim- seemingly timid teachers in your school they've often got that inner steel and grit um that just makes them the most fantastically inspiring teachers uh, out there so to all the miss honeys out there i salute you yay well done miss honey i think it's fair to say i don't possess the gift of being adored by all the small children under my care but that's fine <laughs> <laughs> i didn't think that's true so i had to think about this now i'm at a bit of a disadvantage here because i'm not a big film buff at all i'm pretty terrible with films actually uh, you're frequently scandalized by films that i haven't seen i am um and when thinking of the fictitious teachers i was aware of um i i found it really difficult because when you do this job yourself I guess you sort of know what teaching is all about. And so many of them are either incredibly unrealistic or really, really two dimensional or very, very problematic. I was <laughs> Googling away at this very early in the morning um, the other day. And I was I was intrigued to see that the Times Ed had done this survey at some point when they were short of a bit of space, clearly. And um, Albus Dumbledore had come top of the list. Um, when they'd surveyed actual teachers, which I was a little bit surprised about. Did you roll your eyes at that, Tom? I think, I mean, you know, nothing against Harry Potter or anything. I think he's very problematic as a role model as a teacher. Um, I was a little bit surprised that he came out top. I saw quite an interesting quote about him the other day, actually, in a thing saying that if, if uh, if he was kind, then he was incompetent. And if he was wise, then he was callous. Which I thought was Ooh. quite interesting. Yeah, I think he is a pretty problematic character. Plus, I wanted to come up with something a little bit more left field because that's just the sort of person I am, really. So, <laughs> brace yourselves, everybody. Yeah. So I'm gonna um, I'm gonna come at this from a slightly strange place, but it, it comes from a, a place of another Christmas gift for you as well because it includes a recommendation for the sort of book you want to be reading over Christmas. Um, so my teacher from fiction is Walter Hartwright. Walter Hartwright from Wilkie Collins's novel The Woman in White, which is uh, one of his best-known novels and is a proper crazy Victorian sensationalist detective suspense story of the kind that was probably a massively guilty pleasure in those days. Mm -hmm. And it's loads of fun. It's a rip-roaring tale of detectiving and, and false identity and all kinds of crazy stuff and it actually has some quite nice kind of moral running through it about 
about strong women characters and the unequal treatment of women by the law and that kind of stuff. So it's got some quite wholesome stuff in there as well, but it's mainly just an amazing story and exactly the sort of thing that you should probably be reading in the Christmas holidays because it's just brilliantly fun. And Walter Hartwright is an art teacher a middle-class art teacher who finds himself a bit short of cash and ends up being employed as a as a kind of private art tutor in this well-to-do sort of stately home with this this big sort of family and of course well-to-do stately homes and big families means total dysfunction and craziness and all that kind of thing and mystery ensues and it's all rather marvellous fun and I recommend it. Ah, oh, that's a great recommendation. I shall certainly be giving that a read as I've not read it myself. So thank you for that, Tom. Another Christmas present. I'm surprised, actually, that you didn't mention any of the teachers from The Wonderful World of the Worst Witch, which I know you're reading and to your daughter at the moment. I am reading, yeah. Uh, I mean, the teachers don't actually figure very much in it you've got miss hardbroom who's your sort of standard issue two-dimensional mean teacher and miss cackle who's your kind of standard issue terribly nice but not enormously effective teacher that's about your lot really oh but i've got a special place in my heart for mildred hubble and uh, her escapades um, i think so harry who i'm sorry i know i know <laughs> shocking Okay, so those were our favourite teachers from fiction and from media. Um, now, uh, brace yourselves and strap in. Now. Uh, yes, I am kind of tiptoeing tentatively <laughs> into um, Tom's suggestion it that we talk like about. A good idea at the time. <laughs> he wanted us to talk about our biggest classroom disasters. So I think if that's what you wanted, Tom, yeah, that's what you're going to get, and I think you're going to kick this uh, this whole section off. Okay, good luck. I mean the idea behind this is that I. I'm always really uncomfortable with any teacher who wants to project infallibility um, to the people they teach. And of course, I think when you're teaching teachers, that's even more important because we're doing a really difficult job and we ask an awful lot of our student teachers. And I think it's only fair as my Christmas gift to you um, to give you just one story from the swathe of disasters and incompetence that followed me around when I was new to the teaching profession. I really was quite spoilt for choice here, actually, um, with what I was going to bring to the table. But I think it had to be this one, which occurred around about this time of year, actually, in 2006. So I was a newly qualified teacher, an NQT, and very wet behind the ears. <laughs> I had landed in my first job um minus a head of department and had somehow survived my first term. I'd got to Christmas. It was a department of two NQTs um, who'd turned up with no scheme of work, no equipment, a bunch of pupils who really didn't like the subject and Estin walking in for an inspection in week four. So it had been a fairly traumatic term and I was mightily relieved as I came into school at the beginning of January because not only had I survived my first term relatively unscathed, um, but also I had a new head of department at last. Mm. Um, I had been cured of any ambition by that point that running a department would be a good idea and I was just mainly very pleased that my new head of department was walking through the door for his first day so picture the scene uh, the day had been i think it was about five minutes old by this point um my colleague marvin thomas who is actually a listener so hello marvin you'll remember this well uh he was about five minutes into his first lesson and it had been raining because we were in wales I had some new shoes on, which I had bought over the Christmas period, and I believe, although I'm not 100% sure about this, the cleaning staff had also um, indulged in some new floor polish over the Christmas period. Um, You might be able to see where this is going. Mm. The pupils had come in for period one and had trailed a load of water in with them into the building. I had popped over to the other side of the school to run an errand and was walking very briskly back, and anyone that knows me knows I do tend to walk fairly briskly around the place it is the teacher walk i walked into my uh, building uh, and i briskly turned left to walk into the music department unfortunately as i turned left my feet carried on in the same direction they had been going oh dear yeah the floor was like an ice rink it really was i don't know what it was that the cleaning team had put on the floor but combined with rainwater and my not very grippy shoes uh, the the floor was an absolute death trap and my feet went out from under me so fast that 
I didn't even have time to put my hands out as I fell. Oh, my word. <laughs> Which meant that the thing that impacted the beautifully shiny floor first was actually my face. No. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I'm lucky because I've never had to earn a living from my looks, thank goodness. And so <laughs> didn't actually matter. Uh, other than the fact that I made a hell of a mess of my face um i my chin hit the ground and was split open and <gasps> luckily i fell right next to a small staff room which was empty uh, and so i kind of dragged myself into this this tiny staff room um spat out the piece of tooth that had broken off oh my gosh um, and realized that um you know once i kind of worked out what had happened that my front was just pouring blood it was oh, my chin no. was pouring so, Ma- Marvin, you'll remember this. Uh, you were approximately by this point about nine minutes into your first, hello, I'm your new head of department. Um, you know, you respect me and I'll respect you and we'll all get along kind of talk that you would give. Talk about stealing his thunder, uh, Tom. I, I impressively stole his thunder by walking into the classroom <laughs> covered all down my front in blood and saying sorry mr thomas had a bit of a disaster i'm just off to the hospital epic <laughs> a massacre yeah i was a sight i mean actually it looked a lot worse than it was i went over to the lovely people in the royal glamorgan hospital who stitched my face up in about 40 minutes flat and i was back period you... two i was back wow <laughs> that is a masterclass in uh resilience <laughs> yeah year eight set five uh with whom i think i gained some some major cred points by standing in front of them uh, with stitches bristling out of my face, still dripping. Wow. So did you tell them the truth about what happened? Or did you make up some epic tale of what really happened? Uh, Do you know what? I can't remember. I, I never got to the bottom of whether Marv um, followed on the, you know, if you respect me, I'll respect you bit with, if you don't, that's what's going to happen. Ah, <laughs> see, it was all just a really big kind of uh, plot that you, that you cooked up together. It was, yeah. So that was me, newly qualified teacher. I've still got the scar now so wow, uh, the yeah. lengths the colleagues will go to to make their pupils fear them fear them and remember <laughs> them yep <laughs> well mine is kind of similar in that it did end in disaster although i'm ashamed to say it um it didn't end in a teacher going to a and it ended up in a pu- with a pupil going to a and yep <laughs> So, um, so this actually, it's not really my disaster. So I can't, I can't really claim it as my own. Not to say that I didn't have any classroom disasters, um, but um, you're just not telling us them. That's not well, fair. Well, it's not really kind of worthy of, um, you know, the Christmas episode. I, I think they were just too mild. We needed something suitably dramatic to follow yours. Okay. So, um, my one of my year eleven schemes of work for drama. So you um, are responsible for this then? I kind of am, yeah. I kind of sort of loaded the gun that and then with you. and then yeah, and then my lovely colleague kind of fired it and <laughs> and ended up with a with a pupil going to A and E on her hands. Anyway, I should probably mention her name. Her name is Lucy Anderson, if you're listening. Hello, Lucy. Hello. Um so back in my in my teaching days, we were teaching a scheme of work um to year eleven pupils on General Pinochet. Um Goodness uh, me. a dictator from yes. Chile from the nineteen 19- 70s and an all-round nasty bloke yeah really interesting and dark period of history that doesn't um doesn't get a lot of coverage i think on school curriculum so you know enter drama um and we do or we did uh, a notoriously effective lesson where we use teacher and role um in order to put the pupils in the role of the media the chilean press um whilst we went into role as uh, evil dictators from the military because it was a military coup um telling these uh these press um these members of the of the press these journalists uh, what this new regime would entail so that they could go back to their newspapers and, and print exactly what we had prescribed to them. So it was a really kind of dramatic uh, lesson, I was going to call it episode then, um, <laughs> lesson in a scheme of learning that then they would be able to kind of reflect on and go into role and it was all, it was all very good. Anyway, this lesson involves to add jeopardy and tension 
Um, setting up some props backstage beforehand. Um, they in- include uh, something, a, p- a stick to to hit, not a pupil with, to hit and make a sound effect with, and um, and some fake blood. And what happens is the pupils in role as the Chilean press have to. Um, they're given firm instructions in role uh, by the military to to avoid making eye contact um, with the with uh, the high ranking officer who would give them their press release. Now one of them always does and that's always a gift so the moment you get eye contact you as the teacher in role are supposed to whisk that pupil off into a cupboard bang something loudly like you are like you are <laughs> either hitting them or <laughs> whatever the uh, the imaginations of the pupils might uh, might lead to i unaccountably have an urge to check i've left the radiator switched on i can't imagine why <laughs> So you obviously come out of role as the teacher then, and you you bring the um, you bring the people into the conceit, and you tell them to scream loudly when you when you make the banging noise. You then put some um, fake blood on them, and you bring them back out into the room and put fear into uh, into all of the other pupils in role at that point. Now usually this works works really well, gives them loads to act off of, gives them loads to write about, and, and produces some fantastic work. Obviously you do it with year eleven um, if you're going to try something like this you know (laughs) make sure you set up the parameters you know we'd obviously done a lot of pre-work before this you know and no child was harmed until until my lovely colleague (laughs) um did exactly as she was supposed to do set it up and and you know put everything in place and the pupil who she brought into uh, the conceit actually didn't come out of role took this extremely um seriously and actually made a run for it and ran for the door of the drama studio uh, bashed into it because she was running full pelt at the drama studio door and broke her wrist she didn't open the door then she didn't open the door Ooh. she ran a little bit fast okay. the door wouldn't open she broke her wrist and she had to go to any wow <laughs> So, confessional, I suppose. It was a, a big classroom disaster, but the, the pupil was um, was absolutely fine in the end of, you know, d- despite the, the broken wrist, she, she got an A-star, I believe. <laughs> I should think so. <laughs> so, yeah, um, approach drama methods with caution, everybody, is the moral of the story. Most definitely. I didn't think drama was a dangerous subject. I've just changed my mind. <laughs> So those were our classroom, biggest classroom disasters. You've obviously heard Becky and Amy's too. So um, yeah, just remember that teachers are real, guys. Yeah, no one's infallible. Absolutely. So our final parting gift to you, lovely listeners, is another fairy tale from the fabulous Becky and Amy of And Then What Pod, the podcast all about stories. So I guess we'd like to invite you to pull up a chair a bit closer to the fire. Make sure you've got some mince pies at the ready or a... Uh, definitely going to need something to drink for oh, this one, Oh, yeah. I think. Okay, so a beverage of your choice. That yeah. could be cocoa or that could be Prosecco. Possibly, <laughs> yes, possibly the latter. I mean, what I love that I learned from this podcast is that these classic fairy tales that we all know and love were not the only fairy tales that people like the Brothers Grimm wrote, that there were actually fairy tales that kind of didn't make the cut. <laughs> I think that's, a, that's a, a, a pretty good intro to this. Yeah, so we wanted to leave you with a fairy tale because, you know, it is the time of year for these things. It is. Um, but we wanted to leave you with a, with a reasonably special one. And, and I think this definitely is a special one, a fairy tale that most decidedly didn't make the cut. Enjoy. This is a really obscure Brothers Grimm story called The Mouse, the Bird and the Sausage. Now, with that title, I can probably imagine what you and what the listeners might be thinking. It's like, oh, it's about a bird, a mouse fighting over a sausage. Well, strap in. Um, (laughs) Again, I've basically just like copied and pasted this. I haven't like rewritten it much in any way. Um, And I'm, you know, feel free to interject. Okay. Questions. I don't know if I can answer them all. Once upon a time, a mouse, a bird, and a sausage formed a partnership. <laughs> Sorry. So it's a sentient sausage. Yeah, it's not said how they've come into each other's lives. <laughs> Doesn't point to the fact that the sausage is sentient and seems to have its own agency. <laughs> it's just this sausage. It's like a pickle rick situation, I guess. Okay. I don't know. Cool. I'm assuming. I mean, it doesn't talk about a scientist who's turned himself into a sausage at any point either. Right, okay. We just got a sausage. They kept house together 
And for a long time, they lived in peace and prosperity, acquiring many possessions. And again, feel like there's some detail lacking here because it doesn't say what kind of possessions they've acquired. And that kind of information would tell us a lot more about the kind of mouse bird and sausage these <laughs> people are. <laughs> like, is it a lot of items from John Lewis? Yeah. Are they quite fancy? Or is it like a labyrinth situation where they're like a bunch of junk hoarders? Yeah. You know, or with, if they'd just gone down to Primark and you know, see what they could get. I feel like that kind of stuff tells you a lot about a bird of mouse and a sausage, yeah. but here we are. So they each had a daily task. The bird's t- yeah, <laughs> the bird's task was to fly into the forest every day and fetch wood. The mouse would carry water, make a fire, set the table. The sausage did the cooking. <laughs> that seems unfair. That's fairly cannibalistic. Well, you wait, Amy. <laughs> so it's at this point that the story. At least this version of the story just gives the moral away in the third sentence okay. of the whole thing. Whoever is too well off always wants to try something different. That's literally... <laughs> and I, I was there like, that's interesting. But no, that's literally the moral of the story. They've just chucked it in the middle. So, <clears throat> one day, the bird chanced to meet another bird. So he's out and about. He meets another one. And uh, the bird's like boasting to him about like his own sweet setup doesn't tell us much about what this setup is but i'm imagining it's something that to be envious of bird wise so this this other bird like criticizes our bird friend for working so hard while the other two just like hang out and enjoy themselves at home so like you know dude like after the mouse has made the fire and carried the water she she they now have genders she can just sit in the parlor and rest and until it's time for her to set the table like what's she doing the sausage only has to stay by the pot and just watch the food cook this is all the bird talking here, by the way. And then when mealtime approaches, she, again, the sausage is a she. Which is not what you would think for the phallic old shape there. So all she has to do is slither through the porridge or the vegetables, making everything greasy and salty and ready to eat. So she seasons it with her own body. She seasons it with her own body. And then, like, the bird has to bring his load of wood home. And then, they, you know, they eat the meal, they sleep until the next morning... And, and the bird's just like, no, but I have a great life. And the other bird's like, all right, friend. So this gets, you know, our bird thinking. The next day, because of this douchey bird's advice, he refuses to, to go to the forest, saying that he's done with being their servant now. Um, he's no longer going to be their fool. <laughs> it's like written the thing. And everyone should try a different task for a change. Thank you very much. So the mouse and the sausage... <laughs> They argue against this. But the bird the bird was the master, apparently. And he's insistent that everyone just gives this is a try. because he's a man? Is this the patriarchy? Possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say yes. Um, so from now on, the sausage is going to go fetch the wood, the mouse is going to cook, and the bird's going to carry the water and set the table. And what was the result? It's literally... <laughs> this isn't me ad-libbing. This is written down. So the sausage trudged off to the forest... I've never really imagined... I would say roll. <laughs> so Just I imagining it like... Boing, boing, boing. <laughs> but like, you know, kind of downtrodden. Yeah. Boing, boing. 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 <laughs> the sausage trudges off to the forest. The bird makes the fire. And the mouse puts on the pot and waits for the sausage to return with the, with the wood for the next day. However, the sausage has stayed out for so long that the other two are like, I think something happened to sausage... <laughs> I know. <laughs> so the bird, after being like, I'm not doing any more flying, is like, oh, okay, I'll fly off and see if I can go find her. And a short distance away, he finds this dog that has seized the sausage and is making off with her. It's like, oh no. And the bird tries to reason with the dog, he like complains to him bitterly about this brazen abduction. This is what's written down. But the, uh, and this is where, it, like, if it wasn't weird before... <laughs> <laughs> gets weird. so the bird's like dude that's my best friend that's my sausage stop and the dog's like <laughs> and the dog is like no mate I found a bunch of forged letters on the sausage um, so like she forfeits her life sorry and, uh, and the bird's like, okay. Sorry, what, forged le- so the sausage forged so, some letters? So the sausage has got all these like forged papers on him. And it's this point in the story where I was like, when was this story written? What politically was going on in Germany at the time? What could this be an allegory for? So the bird just like concedes defeat and is like, okay, buy sausage. <laughs> Maybe you were a spy. Who knows? <laughs> and the bird... <laughs> 
character is going to be a spy in this. It's like not the animals, <laughs> the breakfast food. It's like one of these things is not like the others. Maybe it's the talking sausage, <laughs> which is somehow seasoning food with its own sweat. I mean, that seems weird, right? It's odd. <laughs> so the bird carries the wood home himself, confirmed male, and tells the mouse what's happened. And they're both like really sad, but they're determined they're going to stay together and make the most of the situation. So the bird sets the table, mouse prepares the food. And the mouse, having watched the sausage prepare the food many times, what the mouse does is jumps in, slithers and weaves amongst the vegetables to get them all nice and greasy. But before she reaches the middle, (laughs) her hair and skin are scalded off and she dies. (laughs) So, so then the bird wants to eat, but like there's no one to cook the food. And he's like beside himself now. He's like throwing the wood around, yelling out, looking everywhere like there's no mouse anymore. The sausage was a spy. (laughs) And then because he's like being really careless and emotional, scattering the wood everywhere, that catches fire. The entire house catches fire. And so the bird like rushes to fetch water, but then the bucket fell into a well, (laughs) taking him with it. And he drowns. So, meanwhile, the sausage is getting like bits of it broken off bit by bit in torches. What do you know? (laughs) Where's the Cumberland? (laughs) So, um, so I think we can tell why that's an obscure (laughs) from the screen story. Not one of the more popular ones. I can't breathe. I just. So, yeah, so I'm guessing, I mean, coming back to the moral that was in the third line, whoever is too well off always wants to try something different. So there we go. (laughs) Don't try something different, whatever you do. I think, I don't know what I love more, the story or whoever has got the muttly laugh out of uh, of the two of those. I think it's you, Amy. I think it possibly is. Well... Merry Christmas, Emma. Oh, Merry Christmas, Tom. Nadana Clowin to all of our lovely listeners. Yeah, make sure you get some rest. Emma's going to get some rest from me when this podcast comes out. I hope that on the 28th of December you haven't heard from me for at least 24 hours, (laughs) if not several days. (laughs) Merry Christmas, one and all. Hang on a minute before we finish. We always forget this bit. We do. Because we're so incredibly humble. I oh, think. we're so humble. We're so bad at self-promotion. Yeah, but we're going to go. We're going to do it now because we've just given you an enormous truckload of Christmas presents, and as yet, have not asked for anything in return. But it's come to our attention that certainly on Apple Podcasts, we have a grand total of zero reviews <laughs> and zero ratings. So if you're sitting on the sofa, unable to move because of the latest round of food you've eaten. Do you think you might be able to leave us a review or a rating? And I think we're going to take the tack that our lovely friends Amy and Becky take, which is, if you ain't got nothing nice to say, don't say nothing at all. And I don't know why that was in a Cockney accent. I'm pretty sure it's Thumper from Bambi who says that. Yeah, I thought we agreed we weren't doing the accents thing. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's Christmas. I've had too many sherries. All right, we'll let you off. Um, But yes, if you do have something nice to say, we would love to know about it. So uh, if you could possibly get us off off the ground with ratings and reviews this festive season i think we would enormously appreciate it we would thank you very much bye see you next year and happy christmas that was emma and tom's christmas podcast presented by me emma thayer and tom breeze our guests today were becky brownolf and amy jones and their podcast is and then what the podcast all about stories we're very grateful to all those colleagues who gamely braved the microphone to tell us about their favorite teachers from fiction sally bethel sean watkins chris sobel ashley beard dr judith neen dr gina morgan and mark williams Thanks also to Nick Birchall and his seagulls, the Brothers Grimm and their questionable fairy tale quality control, and all the guests we've had on the podcast this year, Sally Bethel, Dr Kate North and Kath Lewis. We hope you're having a proper rest and normal surface will be resumed next time. In the meantime, take care and Merry Christmas.